we're socially conditioned that you work Monday to Friday and on the weekend that's treat yourself time but it honestly I I think it's almost an epidemic in our culture where people think of the food in that way that they think of during the week you're in a kind of uh, a famine mode and then on the weekend you're in a feast mode and I, I see it all the time with the people I've told you Hello and welcome to For Fit's Sake, the podcast brought to you by FFS Gyms. This week, myself and Rudds are joined by Daniel Davey. Daniel, how are you doing? I'm great. Daniel of Food Flicker fame, also uh, performance nutritionist. Am I going with that title? Yeah, yeah, let's to, do that. to Leinster Rugby yeah, and good. to the Dublin Footballers. Um, he was also in charge of uh, our executive podcast producer, Dara Henry, during an internship for a That's while correct. with the Dublin Footballers. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll dig into Dara yeah, a little yeah. bit later on. Before we get stuck in, um, Rudds, do you like your new podcast studio? I love it. It's yeah. um have you seen what's the the film with the uh, the fairy wall? You know, oh yes, um, I'll get him to the Greek. Get him to the Greek. If yeah. you could see the, pod, uh, the podcast studio today, we've the, got the zebra print rug. So the carpets, uh, yeah, the carpet. And um, yeah. b- big thanks to um, iconic offices, the Greenway on Stevens Green, for allowing us to set up a couple of podcasts here. It makes it much easier than dragging Daniel in at seven o'clock on Sunday morning when the gym is quiet. Uh, it's uh, we're kind of burning all uh, burning out our personal favors, dragging people in on Sunday morning. So thanks to the guys at Iconic, uh, great space for us to get in and do the podcast. So the three key points we'd love to touch on would be uh, the key strategies for performance in field-based sports, such as rugby and GAA, um, translating nutrition research into practical recommendations. And then finally, uh, something you touched on before was talking about that high-performance lifestyle. So talking about the habits that make up a high-performance lifestyle. Sounds great. Yeah, Mm -hmm. look forward to it. Brilliant. Right, so the first thing then with the key strategies for performance in field-based sports, GA, rugby, soccer, all put them all in the one boat for now. You can get a bit more specific if you need to. What what are the big rocks for, for people trying to put a performance strategy together in terms of nutrition? I, I think it's about looking at the season, first of all, in phases. And the way that you break your season down has a big impact on your overall performance. So we know from a sports science perspective, <clears throat> coaches and sports scientists and, and trainers are always periodizing the type of training that you're doing uh, in order to peak at certain times of the year. Uh, From a nutrition point of view, I think we're starting to align a lot better from a macro perspective and from a micro perspective. So looking at pre-season, sorry, first of all, looking at off-season, then pre-season and in-season and and even the recovery part of the season very differently. And I think if, if you if you were to ask me some of the changes within nutrition over the past five years, I think that has been one of the key ones. I think athletes now look at the entire year. They don't just look at the big game yeah. in the championship or the big games in the in the league. There's a greater awareness of the importance of getting it right, not abusing yourself in the off-season, uh, and then working more into the 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 preseason where <clears throat> it's about getting yourself into the right type of physical shape to perform in season. Uh, so that's about dropping body fat, building muscle mass, strength, and as you move on, uh, then trying to be more powerful and, and working on endurance. So from a nutrition point of view, it's just that it's a mindset. It's yeah. actually looking at those phases differently. And then when you're not in those phases, so when you're in a performance phase, then body composition isn't as much of an issue. Mm. So you're you're focusing on making sure you're recovering well after each session and you're fueling well for games. And and that's kind of, you know, you're you're building a hierarchy. Um and then as you as you get into uh, the performance end of the season, it's about breaking it down even further. So it's about looking at your game week mm. and being mindful of what type of energy, what type of nutrients you need uh, on your performance days versus your recovery days versus your gym days uh, and then continuing to break it down further breaking it into the next phase so there's your three phases of preparation and your three phases of recovery uh, and the more that you can get an athlete into that mindset the better is, is there a huge variance between sort of the training days the build-up days and then the actual the game days what, what would be the key differences there the big difference number one you when i mentioned hierarchy you're looking at total calories uh, and I think if again, if you were to ask me the the real differences between people who 
exercise for leisure and for for social purposes versus people who exercise or for performance or more performance or competitive based it's that athletes who are really focused on performance will align their nutrition more so towards their performance day so the days that you're burning more calories the day that you're running and covering more ground and that you have bigger demands on your body athletes are much more conscious of that yeah um so it means more carbohydrate in simple terms it makes it means that you're hitting your protein targets uh, and that you're spreading your protein intake throughout the day and the it's 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 just being aware of those things being being really conscious of it uh, and underpinning it then with as many good food choices day to day, week to week as you possibly can. So like that's one of the things that we would have learned about. But it's also something that like we get asked questions a lot when it comes to people who are in the gym or are playing sports um, or even doing a talk recently uh, in an um in an office and basically one of the guys was a competitive cyclist and he came and asked me about carbohydrate loading um, and he was telling me about what he does in terms of like how big a role does that play in what you do and more importantly if it does like how does someone go about doing that yeah I think that's a that's a really really good question because uh, we know carbohydrate is essential for team sport performance and if you're looking at a repeated sprint type of sport uh, like uh, football rugby soccer Rods would know what repeated sprints are just for the record (laughs) (laughs) repeated jog to rucks yeah exactly Uh, you no, can look down. You can look this end of the table. For <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you're burning a bit of glycogen. Yeah. There as well. um, so it, that is the primary fuel that you're that you're burning once you go over about sixty percent of your your capability. So once your heart rate is really up there uh, and your 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 short rest periods, the primary fuel source is carbohydrate. And the the kind of one of the first education points with an athlete is, is actually helping them to on a very broader level uh, or and have a simple understanding of what energy metabolism is about where you are burning calories from at different times yeah. uh, and and helping them to understand that as we're sitting here or if we're walking the primary contribution to uh, to energy is more so fat so having a real broad understanding of that actually helps an athlete actually okay so if i'm walking or i'm uh, i'm i'm doing very light aerobic activity i don't need as much carbohydrate because that's not really what's driving my energy whereas if i'm training 3 days a week i've got a match at the weekend even if you're training 2 days a week and they're rpe so your your perceived exertion is above a 7 or an 8 you're you're burning a significant amount Tough of sessions, calories yeah. from carbohydrate so it's about knowing on those days, I need more energy from carbohydrate sources. And in terms of your carbohydrate load, the simple way, because as you know, with my philosophy and approach, it's all practical and it's all food led. So everything I educate around is food. So it's for me to understand these strategies and approaches. It's for athletes to understand what to eat. So the way that I educate around things like carbohydrate loading is that you would add between two or three extra carbohydrate meals on top of what you would normally do. And a, and a carbohydrate meal could be two bananas and a glass of milk, rather than complicating it with, yeah. well, that's chicken curry and rice. Well, no, you don't need to eat eight chicken curry meals a day. It just means that you have six or eight meals that Predominantly carbohydrate-based. Yeah. Carbohydrate is that uh, in six or eight in the one day, or is that six or eight over the... Great question. Yeah. Great question. That is a good question because I was yeah. thinking, wow, I could need a lot more carbs over the next few days. <laughs> yeah. It's very specific to the person. Yeah. Uh, and this is kind of drilling down into the individual. And it's this is it's critical because some athletes will prefer to get the the you know, maybe 85, 90% of their loading done 24 hours beforehand because they feel much better eating very small amounts on game day. Uh, whereas other athletes really don't like being hungry. So they might have the six or seven meals the day before mm. and the three meals the next day. Yeah. Or another athlete might have eight meals the day before and one or two meals the next day or on game day. Uh, and, and like even from a personal uh, perspective, like I, I've uh, played uh, Gaelic football to a reasonably high level. Um, and we were going to get to that. You well, don't need well, to get no, it's just, uh, yeah, it was kind I know of you don't take praise too well. No, we've, we've got it all in here. But, yeah. no, but uh, I think the, from an, 
even from a personal point of view, you do learn an awful lot about nutrition, training, exercise by practicing these things yourself. But I figured out personally that even if I've got a game in the evening, I perform best by doing a large carbohydrate load the day before, having a large breakfast and maybe no lunch and just something very like like a granola bar and some apple juice in the afternoon and that might be in total calorie terms that might only be 600 calories mm. and 100 grams of carbohydrate but i know i'm done i know yeah. that's what how i perform at my best it, it's really interesting that you say that because people do want to paint these kind of problems with the one brush and say this is what you have to have like we we talked about in podcasts in the past roads but like listening to your body and experiment with your body like i know from even with kind of prepping for the marathon of the longest that it is i ran 21k and 30k they were they were the two runs so when i did the 21k i was so hungry after maybe 12k because i chose not to eat breakfast that morning i did the run at maybe 10 o'clock after working morning classes but so i i did that decided no i need to have a big meal and then the next time i ate maybe only 45 minutes before going to run the 30k and felt amazing um but like that's that's from trying different things i know me and you were very different with the way we eat around yeah. our training but like it is really important for people to listen to that and like is there many examples you have from even working in the teams that you're in is it very different across a, across a squad do they have to eat at the same time it's very interesting that you, again that you should ask that question because i i would have seen over the past even 12 months i would have seen a, a change in some of the strategies in both camps um I, but particularly there's a move away from eating large amounts of food on game day uh, and players feel they, there's there's a perception, there's something that you can't really put your finger on when it comes to a lot of these things, but it's a freshness and it's a lightness uh, and it's about not having too much uh, food in your stomach. Certain players, again, uh, who respond much, much better. Uh, and it's again from it's from trial and error. And there's 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 a little bit more coming out about just as you mentioned that that meal that you had about exactly where your carbohydrate foods are coming from. So. Like, let's say, for example, being very careful about certain vegetables that you consume, like garlic and onion can be problematic for certain athletes. Uh, again, that's kind of touching on the FODMAP side of things, but it draws a little bit more extra f- fluid into your intestine and, and that can be cause an issue. The, the, the number of times that you're going to the toilet before you're exercising again, the food choices are having an influence. So it's about not just volume and timing but being really specific about what works well for you from a food perspective and even the difference between uh oat sizes so oatlet sizes has an impact on certain people's digestion for example jumbo oats fantastic for me then there's other athletes that i that i work with they they can't stomach them at all that's a great example because i i'm the exact same with the bigger porridge oats i can't eat them like the morning i train uh I can ha- I, it's funny, I can have like small, the Tesco porridge oats are the only ones I eat. I can't eat the Quakers or the big ones. It's just, I don't feel great going in on Is that because like fiber content of the larger kernel, like larger oats? I, it, it, I mean, it? it is fiber, but ultimately they've gone through an extra stage of milling. So it's it's easier for your stomach okay, yeah. uh, to, to manage that load. It's it's And again, it's a very, it's whatever way your digestive enzymes are working they don't they're not as efficient particularly there's there's another factor that comes in uh, play here and that's a, a level of anxiety uh, and the way that blood flows yeah. and and where your how your mind is impacting your overall digestion so if you've got a food that you're less efficient at digesting like your jumbo oat then that's going to become a much bigger issue on game day so yeah. it's about again these are really 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 simple things but it's only with time you you start to realize the impact that they can have so like there's certain athletes that i work with um and you know five years ago it i I, the blood would have drawn from my face if i knew what they were doing you know things like eating cornflakes late at night and cocoa pops on game day and this kind of stuff but you know what you actually have to take a step back and realize there's there's a good reason why that's actually working for that athlete Mm. You know, it's 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 a digestible source of carbohydrate, uh, and you don't you sorry. Sometimes you don't need to worry about things like glycemic index. You know, it's it's for that athlete that's working. So okay, let's let's run with it. Okay, I think like the one thing that I try and coach people on that I've learned through uh, my education with precision nutrition was the idea of mindful eating. That's mindful eating in practice. So like so many people I co- I've coached over the last couple of years, where they're eating foods. And they really don't agree with them, either their skin or their stomach cramps or whatever. And they just go through their life 
eating something that really doesn't agree with them, but they have no idea because most of the time when they're eating, they're watching TV or they're doing their emails or they're on their phone. And <clears throat> only when we start trying to discuss this idea of mindful eating and if they're open to that conversation, because it's not this many grams of this, it's more, it's more of a fluid concept. And when they become open to that and they start doing it, I've had numerous people come back and go, Jesus, I think you're right. I think it might be intolerant to dairy or it might be intolerant to gluten or whatever it is. And then we have this question where we go, how's that working for you? So eat that skin gets worse. Okay, let's try. Take that out for a little bit. How's that working? Oh, my skin's so much better. I got so much more energy or whatever it might be. And then only by being aware and mindful of what you eat, how it makes you feel, and then tweaking and playing around and experimenting with that are people able to find it. But if you're not aware, then you can just keep doing things that don't work for you. Uh, it, you've you've touched on multiple points there and really interesting ones. I think you're talking about from a mindfulness, you're talking about the psychology and the impact that nutrition can have. And then you're talking about the personality aspect. So there's, there's multiple different uh, things that need uh, in consideration. And the openness is probably one of the key ones. Uh, you know, an athlete might be doing something and performing well and eating a food that isn't appropriate, but they think that works for them. And it, it takes a certain level of, of time and openness. Uh, and, and also there's, there's certain, there's time periods and triggers that will eventually come up for that athlete to try something new or to change what they're doing. Uh, and you need to be very, for, particularly as a coach or, or as a nutritionist, you need to be very, very patient to know when that time is appropriate to, to put in that piece of information. I've had several of exactly the same things that you're, you're talking about, um, but you can't force them. No, I, I think that that is like a really important point about like certain things in your life make you change like when these moments come up when you start to realize whatever it might be um and then going and going down those rabbit holes and finding out things because um something might trigger it whether it be your skin or whether it be because like you're saying where people are able to get results in spite of what they're doing especially athletes you know, as an athlete, a huge part of your mindset. Don't mess with it if it's working, you know. <laughs> but but also, as an athlete, a huge part of being an athlete is the ability to tolerate pain, to push through regardless. So, like, I found in my own journey um, of being a coach and trying to listen to this mindful eating and trying to be more open to this, it kind of went against a big part of what I'd done, that idea of I'm grand, I can push through this, which helps on a rugby pitch because it's very like a lot of the time you don't feel great is in like you get smacked in a ruck. You don't feel great, but you have to try and block that out and just keep pushing forward. Um, uh, you're, you're really touching on some very, again, some really interesting things because they're very relevant to my space. And the, for me, it's about helping athletes understand how to divide those two things up, understanding what's normal. What, what, what are the normal things that you experience from a diet perspective and what are the pain and what is the level of fatigue that you're also supposed to be experiencing? And it's actually quite, it's quite a new space that I'm trying to explore. And it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's an area that needs incredible sensitivity because, uh, everybody is so, so different, um, and what's normal for one person is not normal for another. But even things like digestive health is something that I'm really, really interested in. And, and we, we only know, we know, we know less than 2% about our mm. gut. We know just such a small amount. But we do know that there's things uh, that can really benefit our health if we get it right. But number one, you need an openness from an athlete to explore it. Um, and then you need an honesty from an athlete then to give you the feedback in order to to progress it. Um, so, uh, it's, it, it's, it's a sensitive area with a huge amount of growth. I actually think in terms of where we're going in space, I think that's where we're going to see the, the greatest amount of growth is where an athlete can identify what's not normal for them and how they can improve it. To, to draw a parallel from that, if, if you link it back to people who are listening to the podcast who are recreational gym goers, they train three to five times a week, they, what body composition is their main goal. 
you're talking about that's the biggest area for growth in terms of research and with top level athletic performance. It's the exact same with people who just want body composition improvements. If they're able to sit down and look at themselves and their experience and say, like, how is this actually working from you can look and go, I'm in reasonably good shape. I'm 12% body fat, but, but I want to get to 10, right? You've done a lot of good things to get you to 12, but there has to be some small things holding you back. So you have to sit down, honestly reflect what things can I change? And it's like, I know you like golf. We'll get to that later in the, the uh, episode. But if you look at like Park Harrington, he goes and wins uh, majors, you know, playing the best golf of his life, but he knows he can be a little bit better. So he takes apart his whole swing. He suffers for years. And in his case, he never got back to where he was. But like that's the top level athletic mindset to just because things are going well, that doesn't mean they can't still be improved. So if people are listening to the podcast who are, you know, members of the gym or they're training in the gym themselves, if things are going pretty well for you, don't be afraid to say, how could they go a little better? How could I look and say, right, is this normal? Is my, are my recovery real? My recovery meals accurate? Is my pre training nutrition spot on? And try different things. You might get a few setbacks in the first month or so you might feel great you might have a couple of sluggish sessions but i guarantee you'll have information that'll make you better going forward oh, absolutely and, and what's important for anybody trying something is to be very realistic about what can be achieved uh, and to like it's a, it's a difficult thing I, I i quite i heard um recently uh something really interesting about discipline and discipline being a skill and if you don't practice discipline, then it's not something that you can really improve on. But if you, if you, you, you have to be realistic and also specific. So look at one area that you're going to try and improve, whether that be your breakfast or whether that be your pre-training meal or your lunch or whatever it might be. It. Set that as a specific area that you're going to target and work on that and then build in something new. But don't go after t- more than three things at a time. Mm. And I think that uh, if you don't have the right type of support, that's the that's the biggest mistake that people can make is just going. It's January or it's coming to the summer, or and then those good habits that you're wanting to try and build in, they fall away. I think with the realism piece, like that's so important. So for in my own journey as an athlete, I went from being like a professional and that was my job, and then I had these nutritional strategies that had worked for me up to that point. Also coinciding with that study in sports science um, in a master's level. So like I had that knowledge. But then when I stopped being a professional and started being um, an amateur rugby player who still wanted to play at a high level, but also had now a business and my life had totally changed in that year. I found that the things that had worked for me as a professional no longer worked for me uh, as a as an amateur. And it took me about three to five months of myself beating myself up for not doing the things that I did before when I was a professional because my life now had changed. I was working 12, 15 hours a day, a day and I couldn't. So like for me, it took about three, four months to let go of a lot of the elite things I was doing and be more realistic with myself. And then I actually found now I'd figured out a way for me to still eat better and fuel my performance as an amateur rugby player, but fit it into my life. I think realism is really, really important. Yeah, it is. And how, like, how would you, would, would you say there's a difference? So for instance, if you were coaching me as a 22 year old professional who's involved in Leinster and then a year later, I was playing for Mary's in the AL and work and running a business. Like, would you change the way you coach that person uh, in terms of your recommendations and how you did it with them? I've thought again. I've thought a lot about this. Um, the, the where I would have started uh, within nutrition was an expectation that once I'm working with an athlete, that that athlete is motivated intrinsically. Um, they're they're motivated by their environment uh, and that that's enough. And that's that was naivety on my own behalf. And I also was very naive with the level of detail and the information that I thought athletes, particularly athletes, are interested in because, you know, I, I again, I played Gaelic football and it made sense to me that I wanted to, to, to know everything I could know that might improve my performance. But then as time goes on, I realized that the most important thing is that you're actually working with a specific personality and you're working with a specific person with unique needs and targets uh, and challenges, mentally, physically, environmentally, financially. And it's about understanding what they are 
That's that's the most important thing for me to understand. So you are a very different person, whether you're in a Leinster Academy, sub-academy, you're a senior player, you're married, you have a, ch- you have a child, you're single, you're going out, you know, you're, you're working, you're playing with the, the, the Dublin team, you're golfing, you, you, God knows what your challenges are, but you need to first understand what those challenges yeah. are and figure out then with the athlete, what are the weaknesses, what needs to be improved the most. Uh, and that's what I do. So I look at the different areas from a from a nutrition, from a lifestyle perspective, like you are already doing from from what I from what I've heard really, really well. Uh, and then prioritizing the areas that need to be improved first. There's people who are listening now who are who are in that boat. So say, for instance, there's a lot of people who train with us who are playing um who train in the gym, like we always said, three to five times a week. And then maybe they're playing rugby uh, on the weekends at an amateur or social level um in terms of if you were to say like what was the one or two things that would be the biggest priority um and how do you strip them back so say for instance if you're talking about carbohydrates i'll give you my example of how i worked carbohydrates for me so whereas before i would have um like had the option to cook a lot more food for myself or like keep food hang- you know you you've finished training there's a fridge in training or you get you home within two hours and you well, eat. Reese is your chef now though he's your personal yeah, Reese chef is he my just chef. cooks for you all the time yeah, yeah. But great yeah. Reese. he beat uh, or sorry no you've no, beat him in the Uncle Glenn's cooking competition oh, my dad yeah, yeah. yeah. the people's yeah. champ yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But with that, what I found started to work for me was I started making um, like super shakes and smoothies because I could transport them way easier to training. So I could have some sort of like whole food carbohydrate meal before training. So like that for me was a strategy that worked really well where I knew carbohydrates were important, but having like rice cold didn't it didn't appeal to me driving to training anymore whereas something i figured out a way to make it simpler or make it easier um so if you like so say for instance there's those people who are listening who know carbohydrates are important like what kind of simple recommendations would you give them i would actually go back a couple of steps um and i would actually say what are carbohydrates because uh, one of the things that i again i i've realized over time is that a lot of athletes, even at an elite level, don't know what carbohydrates are. Um, I've I've heard people talking about being on low carbohydrate diets but having granola for breakfast. Um, so, th- and that's that's not poking fun. That's just that's where certain people are. Um, they eat really well. They make a lot of very good food choices in terms of the if they go out for food, they choose a salad. Um, if they go for dinner, they'll have steak and vegetables, but they don't really understand macronutrients. So the first thing is about understanding where your energy comes from and where carbohydrate is within our diet. Um, knowing that rice, potatoes, fruit, fruit juices and root vegetables, first of all, are carbohydrate sources. And then what I do is I look at fruit and vegetables being your core. So you look to try and hit seven portions of fruit and vegetables every day. That's a target. And athletes love targets. So breaking it into targets. So that's the first component. Then from a carbohydrate point of view, we need energy. And there's maybe three meals throughout the course of a day for somebody who's training in the evening and it's going to involve about 70 minutes of 70 60 70 minutes of running well we need three carbohydrate based meals there so start with something like porridge which is going to give you a good source of carbohydrate your fruit and snacks at lunchtime it could be baked potato or it could be a rice dish and then in the afternoon it could be fruit snacks uh, and then the key thing is your preparation meal. Again, You talked. we talked about the phases earlier. And that an athlete finds a meal, again, that suits them. It works really well. It could be brown bread. It could be homemade brown bread. It could be oat bread. It could be rice cakes. Who knows what it is, again, for that, that athlete. But understanding where the energy comes from first. Then build in, okay, what are the meals that I really like to eat? Uh, is, it, is it sweet potato, regular potato? And how can I practically get those meals into my diet and that's where you you made a big transformation yeah okay so there's 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 quite a there's quite a a journey there that's that somebody is going to have to go on but it's first of all 
again, we go, we talked about mindfulness, actually being conscious of where energy is coming from. And that yeah. means reading labels. It means using things like my fitness pal. It's, it's, it's handy. The precision web, precision nutrition website that you, you talked about. It's about actually informing yourself about where those carbohydrate sources are coming from and then recognizing what food works for you. And the importance each of those meals plays in your day. Exactly. Like you talked about, like there's no point in Rudd's having his super smoothie, you know, before training or after training. If the rest of the day has had nothing that's given him the energy that he wants, it'll help him recover a bit, but he's not prepared. So it's kind of looking at your day as a whole. And like that, that's such a good question because I wanted to ask you about recovery meals. Um, the first thing I'll ask you though is we get asked that question all the time, early morning sessions, pre say 6.30, 6 a.m., I can't eat, but I don't have enough energy to train. So like the first thing I always say to that person is, how did you sleep? Like if you've only got four hours sleep, no matter what you eat, you're not going to come in and have lots of energy to train. But let's assume that somebody's had eight hours of really good quality sleep. They want to do a, a really high intensity session at 6.15 a.m. They get up at say 5.30 a.m. They don't like getting up too early. What do you think? Again, it's going to be individual, but people want to know that are listening. What do you think is a good thing for them to try? And they can try it, experiment with it, see if it suits them or not. What would be a good recommendation you'd make? Uh, it depends on the session. Uh, that's the big thing. So, so say, it's, say it's like a metabolic conditioning session, something okay. very high intensity. Right. Okay. Well, the, look, that is going to demand energy. Um, and the, so if, if I was working with an athlete, understand what their demands were. Um, s- I'm going to try and give a really simple approach, and that is to fuel with uh, carbohydrates or liquid sources. Okay. I mean, that's that's really the most simple approach, and that could be fruit juice. Yeah, uh, it could be the smoothie that Rod's mentioned, <clears throat> or it could be um, it could be a, a protein carbohydrate combination in yeah. in, in power in powder form. It, it could be a banana smoothie. It could be a flavored milk. It really do, It it depends on how hard you're pushing them, but. I personally don't like to have as hard as we can. Yeah, as hard as you can. But it's the the thing is, you don't want too much in your tummy, in your stomach when when you're about to exercise like that. So you're pre-exercise. So you've slept well, but you're the meal that you've had the night before is critical. Yes, you know. So you need to have had a good source of carbohydrate. You need you need to make sure there's a protein source in there, and you're thinking about that early morning session. Now, if you get up you have some carbohydrate and you actually really focus on your hydration and maybe use an electrolyte solution throughout the session, you will get through absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. I have no concerns about it. For somebody who's going out for a run and maybe it's a six or a seven, it's slightly less. As long as you're hydrated, you can train no problem fasted. There's no issue doing that at all. Uh, again, it's an individual thing, but it is something that people are are comfortable doing. Like I, I've I've played early morning games on on just using fruit juice and, and caffeine. So uh, I, I don't really want to go down too much yeah. down the, the caffeine route. You've got but, some good blogs on Food Flicker about that. I was kind of yeah. I, I, I but it's 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 um it's realizing that. Uh, once you're fueled from the day before, that energy is in there. You need to be able to tap into it. I love hearing that though, because it's something that we used to get asked a lot. Like, well, I can't eat a meal at eight or nine o'clock. I can't eat whatever. It's like your body doesn't really know what time of the day it is. If you've just done, you're a perfect example. Say a pitch session on a Thursday night um, you're running for 60, 70 minutes. You need, you need a recovery meal, especially if you're coming in to do a weight session the next morning. Uh, like your recovery and your preparation meal is the one that you have straight after training. That's prepping you for your next session. Absolutely. If people start looking at it that way, that the prep is slightly more long-term, like 20 minutes to 30 minutes before a session, a banana will have an impact, but it's what you ingested you know, throughout the night, eight, nine hours ago, that's really going to help. And, and even in what you said there, you gave four or five really good examples to the people that are listening. Mm. So try the banana, tr- try the coffee, try a juice, try yeah. a flavored milk, yeah. tr- try these different types well, of things. Well, one thing that you kind of, you drilled into there that's that's really relevant is short phases of recovery. And that's when it really does matter. For most people, you're training two or three times a week and you've got a game at the weekend. It isn't as much of an issue if you've got time between those training sessions but if you're training on a tuesday and you've got a gym session in the morning you're that's when your window that 45 minute window or the hour afterward is critical and i've been at so many sessions where i've asked lads uh, and ladies uh, if they've got the recovery meal ready and and seen one hand out of 30 you know and, and that's again it's such a simple thing but that's what sets you up for the next day yeah 
and it, that's the first phase of recovery and then you get home oh well it's too late I can't eat yes you can you know you can have something that's pre-prepared it could be a light salad or it could be a smoothie like again you mentioned uh, Carol I think as well like the point you said about understanding the athlete or understanding the person or what their goals are so for instance like for, in my own transition that was something I didn't have to worry about anymore in terms of that short recovery window. So it was never really doing a session where I'd do it. And then within two hours or within an hour, I'd go out and do the next session. But that was something I was doing when I was younger for, uh, with Leinster. But then after that, there'd be 12, 14 hours to my next session. So like just eating normally would get me to where I needed to be. So I, I could, that was actually a kind of a weight off my shoulders because I, that was one thing that I could let go of. I could let go of necessarily that, uh, like having to get the carbs in right now, I could just have them my lunch. It would be no big deal. And as long as I had that smoothie before training, I'd be boxed off and ready to go. So like a lot of the people we'd coach, if, starting with the goal first. So like a lot of people we'd coach, say they're doing a lot of reading on the internet and they're reading about like pre-workout nutrition, post-workout nutrition. And, uh, but their goal is to lose body fat and improve their health and their body composition. And they do four sessions a week, say. And they're, they're currently higher body fat than they want. And a big issue they have is they're consuming too many calories throughout their day through the habits they've picked up. And then they start reading these things about pre and post workout nutrition. And then they're asking me and I'm like, actually don't eat before the session because you're already struggling to not to decrease your calorie load. Sticking a pre meal in before that is actually gonna is gonna just extra you're just adding yeah. in extra calories and that's not your goal. Like we we've clearly identified through what we're working on, your goal is to improve your body composition, your recreational exercise are three to four times a week. Your your challenge is decreasing calorie load for that person. Not getting an extra six hundred calories in for that person. I'd say don't worry about the smoothie before you train. Just go train and then have your normal breakfast. Whereas if it's the athlete, then that's a different conversation. Well, actually, you're struggling to get enough calories in, and your goal is like you talk about the cycles of uh, performance. Mm. Now you're in a performance phase. Well, now we need to get whatever it is into you before your session. Yeah, uh, and I, again, I don't want to go off topic, but social norms have a massive impact on our behavior. Uh, and, you know, things like breakfast, snacks, lunch, dinner, it, it's it actually, it's one of those things that are influenced by, by television, by media, by our family. You could go from one home to another home and when they have their dinner is completely different. And breaking that can be very, very difficult and challenging because it's something that people own. It's part of their natural behavior so doing things like having the your largest meal which may be the best thing for you to do at 12 or one o'clock in the day will go completely against what your routine has been for 30 years so those are tricky things to, to to navigate but it's uh it's about understanding the information that you're talking about total calories ultimately total calories uh, and not getting too lost in the kind of the semantics in between the bet the best example of that is there's a very good mate of mine he's probably listening to the podcast himself and runs it on very well but he went into a supplement shop a couple of years ago uh, his goal was to try and lose weight and um, exactly like we're talking about needs to get into a calorie deficit speaks to a guy in the supplement shop and he says no man you like you're struggling with energy around when you're training based on the the two minute um conversation that they'd had so he ends up leaving with a gainer leaves the shop with a gainer so this is what the guy sells him based on based on the fact that he needs this you know you need more calories for your train so he gives him a big heavy carbohydrate like pre-workout shake so this guy's taking anyway and i meet him i'm looking at going what on earth just happened go back to him and get your money back he bloated blew up yeah but but that's the thing it's people it's those norms that you're talking about and it's like ruds is talking about like you owe the low-hanging fruit putting the big rocks in place first if you're trying to improve your body composition, um, and that includes me and Kieran, like we would be in the same group. A lot of a lot of our clients that we train are in, like we're trying to maintain a certain level of muscle mass. We both have performance goals with rugby and with training in the gym. It's like that's our recreation. It's our pastime. We want to. We have oh, numbers. Well. We have numbers. We like mm-hmm. to hit, and we like to leave the gym feeling like, yeah, I hit my numbers on the bench. I hit my numbers in chins. I deadlifted whatever. That makes me feel good, and I leave the gym feeling good at the end of the day. So. Like it's it's a performance, but it's at a lower level. Whereas if I'm not thinking that big picture and thinking it's all about 
eating as much as I can to keep my weight on and keep my size on. I might want to do all those performance things, but I might want to be leaner. I might have to cut calories. I might have to have a really small performance decrease for a short period of time in order to get a bit leaner. And that's the trade-off that I've got to accept. If I want to get leaner and like we're talking about the 10% body fat example, if I want to get a little lower, I might have those one, 2% decreases in my performance in the gym or on the pitch. And that's where your lifestyle and ultimately what your priorities come down to. You have to decide those things. I'd love to just quickly touch on that social norms thing because I actually had a really interesting conversation with someone this week and it's something I've been addressing a lot in my coaching over the last year is these social norms and these beliefs around food. So the example I get is a lot of people I coach kind of get their their behaviours to match their goals from Monday to Friday. But then Saturday, Sunday, their behaviours don't match their goals. And... I try and have a conversation with them all the time. Okay, why did that happen? What changed? What were you thinking? We try and dig down to these things. And a lot of it comes down to this idea that we're socially conditioned, that you work Monday to Friday, and on the weekend, that's treat yourself time. Honestly, I, I think it's almost an epidemic in our culture where people think of the food in that way, that they think of during the week, you're in a kind of uh, a famine mode. And then on the weekend, you're in a feast mode. And I see it all the time with the people in coaching. It's turned into a meme. It's turned into something that people are like, oh, weekend, yay, whatever, I can do whatever I want. And like, it's a joke and it's funny, but like, it's the biggest setback for all of our clients is that being consistent all the time. It's those phases of the year, all the questions we get now, uh, get in shape for the summer. Like it's, it's those social norms and the way your brain is conditioned to think that only at certain times of the year do I have to behave in a reasonable way. Like a lot of the talks Rudds does when he goes out to companies are like, one of your slides is, um, the one, is it the dog? Like you're not a pet. You don't yeah. need a treat at the weekend. You know what I mean? It's if people, that's fine. If you want to live a life so where you're not particularly happy with your body composition, but when people kind of turn around and go, well, why am I not getting where I want to be? Well, you know, the, those two days of the week, you're eating like a child, take some responsibility and eat like an adult. Mm. Like you should know what's good for your body. It's extremely complicated uh, and social norms and behaviors are very, very complicated. And I think uh, it's a massive, massive issue. And I actually did a, it's funny, you should, we should, we should talk about this because I did a, a little poll on my social media quite recently and I asked you know, this, the question about do things slide at the weekend? And I think over 80% of people said that they did, that it did. So it is, it's a massive... And the other 20% are liars. Are, yeah, maybe they are. <laughs> yeah. Or are there maybe... Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's okay, <laughs> I can say it's that about your followers. You can't say, say that, that. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think it's, it's... First of all, it's about a value system and it's about a reward system. And it's about understanding what you get your value and your, what you get your rewards from. And... I, Alcohol is something that I'm not, absolutely not going to be a hypocrite. I drink alcohol and really enjoy certain alcohol, but it is one of the things that I feel is a massive issue. Uh, and it's our behavior around drinking alcohol and not specifically the alcohol that we're drinking on a night out, but what happens in the lead up to it and what happens the next day. I think that's a, it's a, it's a major, major issue. So, uh, I try to help people break it down, uh, and, no different to to the week. It breaking it into those specific phases. Uh, your Friday night, your Saturday morning, your Saturday afternoon, your Saturday evening, and your Sundays. And I I would say like it 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 absolutely it can't be a free for all. Like it can't be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You're mm. doing everything. So I am very very realistic. I enjoy a glass of wine on a on a friday or i enjoy a drink on a saturday but i don't drink friday and saturday and i don't go for the cure on a sunday yeah yeah and i also don't i don't put alcohol and eating together i separate them yeah okay so they're two separate things so we've got the perfect storm if you're eating unhealthy processed food or even healthy food and alcohol because that's the perfect storm for storing body fat uh, our bodies are just not geared. It's where, where we are geared up to efficiently storing that excess energy. So breaking it into two different things and starting really, really slowly by even modifying your treat behavior or modifying your alcohol behavior and just look at that first. Mm. Okay. It's momentum as well with those decisions. And I feel like that's a really nice way of putting it is 
the value system. I'll give you like a perfect example, like you're saying about that, like separating and boxing off things. So like one of the things I've tried to coach people, and we've tried to coach people on that weekend thing. And like you talk about just making a few changes and the knock on effect that has to your whole week and your whole month. Um, what we'd see is say for instance, someone was going out on the weekend in their mindset, that whole weekend became like they'd eat what, whatever they wanted in the lead up to going out. Then they'd eat while they're out. Uh, drinking whatever they wanted then inevitably and you talked about things changing your uh, your mindset it's very hard to do mindful eating when you've had 10 pints in you. so 10 pints then you go and get the food afterwards you I'm wake most up, clear you after wake, 10 pints yeah, yeah exactly a lot of things come to me after 10 yeah. pints but like then you wake up in the morning you feel hungover and then you eat to like you talked about the cure so that if you think of that as a 48 hour window was one thing myself and all the coaches at FS we tried to talk about is bringing that window down like you're talking about to eight hours and then compartmentalizing that and then so like simple things we talk about is having a, a meal before you go out that matches your goals and then having your breakfast prepared for the next morning so that when you get up you can cut it off and you've made it easy because it's prepared so I'll give you an example of me on the weekend now so I just had um, myself Rory Reese. And my best mate from Wales, John. Big John. Big John Matthews came over. I know what you're going to talk uh, about here. He's going to make us look very bad. No, uh, no, no <laughs> not at all. I, ca- I came over, uh, he came, he flew over from Wales to visit me, but also get our suits fitted. So we got our suits fitted. John was in town. I had to show him a good time. So we went this down. This lad's arms, oh. like, you, you couldn't believe it. Yeah. Welsh fella, like, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. how we do it in Swansea. <laughs> but like, we, we went out for a few, took him out for a few pints. He loves a few pints. So then I couldn't go home my normal hour of going home at 11 or 12 and being boring. So I had to step up to the plate um, and take him out. So we took him to a party. We stayed there till like two or three in the morning. Had for myself, I'd say I had about eight beers and one or two shots. And then after that, walking out hungry, burger, John. Yeah, burger. <laughs> so we go off and I get a big, huge burger and a load of uh, sweet potato fries. Really enjoyed the experience. Deadly. But then wake up in the morning, my breakfast is ready. I'm able to cut that and it's not like a really big deal. So one, I don't have that like where a lot of people I coach, they have guilt associated with that. And then the next day isn't what they want it to be either. So it's super guilt. And then they come in the Monday and they try and out train what they've done the weekend. But just simple things like that. Narrow the window down, enjoy it. And then you have cuts and you have things like systems and processes in place so you can get back to where you want to be straight after it. Yeah. Uh, we could actually talk about this all night but I have one example of an athlete who would consume over that binge period 30,000 calories 30,000 calories and that uh, particular athlete's body composition fluctuated quite a bit it doesn't anymore because he doesn't eat after he drinks and he doesn't continue the session and the big thing is that you can have an amazing experience that next day and that still be a healthy experience. Mm. We have multiple different lovely restaurants and cafes where we can enjoy a nice coffee. We can get a modified version or, a, you know, or baked eggs or whatever it might be. And that's still a great experience. But that's how your brain is conditioned rather than the Lucozade energy, the bags of potato. And, and it's again, it's, you're, you're moving into free for all. Yeah. So the, the alternatives are, are absolutely critical as well. And having those set up, like you already mentioned, that that's what we're going to do. I think the biggest thing to summarize a lot of that is because we definitely went off topic. That, but that's really interesting to talk about. And it is something that clearly comes from high level athletes down to recreational athletes. But uh, it's exactly that being aware of what your goal is, what you need to do to get there. And thinking of everything in the bigger picture, being reasonably organized and a tiny bit of preparation can make a huge amount of difference. Like They're very small things that people find excuses for. But if you are that, that little bit of preparation organization, you can really nip it in the bud. Uh, you've mentioned it a couple of times, so I want to get into it. Um, fantastic footballing career. Are you still playing with... Uh, uh, I actually uh, transferred to my home club uh, in Sligo, Kalani, Mullabrina, and I've really enjoyed that experience, connecting to the community and all that at home and sharing a little bit of nutrition and other information with that group. And that's been fantastic. Um, so I am still playing, um, but no, I'm not still playing with Ballyboden, and that was a, a a brilliant experience up here. W- winning in All Ireland with them, and obviously playing yeah. for Sligo as well. So like, yeah, played for Sligo for a couple of years and played up the up the different age grades. Um, I, I absolutely loved 
all of that. Um, but uh, the Dublin experience and uh, playing in, in Ballyboden, I suppose that's where the majority of my football and career was. And I, I, I absolutely loved it. I actually, I know this dangerous saying or vocalizing this, but I was, I was always more interested in being a footballer and playing sport than anything else. Yeah. So the kind of the second best option for me and from, from again from from reward and fulfillment was worth working with elite athletes so i'm glad to have got to be able to do a little bit of both if there's coaches listening to this who are snc coaches with junior cup rugby teams or they're coaches in more rural areas that don't have say a lot of resources around them or have the opportunity to speak to as many coaches look at as many other teams what would be the most simple sort of um strategies that coaches or a team as a whole could implement around their training and their games Simple now. Obviously, you could talk about this for ages. Oh, no, no, it is. It's really, really simple because, you know, I do talks with teams uh, and obviously I'm lucky enough to still be playing football with my club at home, my home club. It's about, um, first of all, bringing awareness about nutrition and and, and its role and how important it is. That's the first and most important thing. Everyone is not going, every team, particularly at a playing, whether it be in in Kilkenny or, or in Sligo for me, they're not going to have access to nutritionists. But what you do have is a culture within your own team. And you have certain athletes who really like to uh, read up on it um, and practice good nutrition. In every single team I've ever worked with, there's always been some athletes who've taken a huge interest in it, yeah. interested in from a, from a health, from a performance, and even from a body composition perspective. And I found it very effective to give those players a little bit of extra responsibility. So if they find that there's something interesting that they're reading, an interesting podcast, um, something about their behaviors that they find works well for them, that they're actually passing it on. But the key thing, the key thing is that it comes from the manager. The management, uh, or it doesn't have to be the manager, but a selector or a coach, that they are driving the simple messages consistently. The mistakes that I would see are where there's an emphasis on hydration for the, the hottest and warmest days of the year. That's like, and that's it. Or we're not drinking for the next six months. This is the kind of, those type of things offer no real performance or health benefits. It's about asking players, did they bring their own water bottle? Have they brought their own water to games or to training? Have they brought two so that they can have one at half time and that there's one on the side of the pitch? They put the name, they put their name on it. They have a snack for afterwards. Uh, and there's, there's a little bit of thought put into it. And, and by doing that and creating a culture of communication and topics that you're talking to each other about, uh, and that maybe that there's somebody responsible for pushing these things within a squad, that's really beneficial. One thing I've heard from, from like heard and read for obviously like I get a lot of information from Reese that you've done an excellent job with is one creating that culture around nutrition with like WhatsApp groups and cooking demonstrations and get people where it's not a thing where just one person's talking about it everyone's talking about it and they build that culture but another thing I know you've done is you've um worked really hard on providing like a structure or an environment that makes it easier for players to make those choices or make better things. So like, for instance, like I remember uh, you were doing smoothies for players after training. Uh, so, so it's like, it's, they have to go out of their way not to choose that and get a recovery meal. So maybe something simple for like an amateur team might be if you have like some fruit or bars or something like that where they're lying around in the change room. So like you're saying, if a manager goes, lads, are you getting your, it's right there. your recovery thing? And it's right there. Well, that's Brendan Egan, you're a colleague and he lectured myself and Rhodes in, in UCD. Like really, obviously I have to say this because you'll feed it back to him. But like he really, really good lecture. Um, like opened my eyes to a lot of things. With, like I understood nutrition. I'd done it at like a molecular level and understood that what happens to the body. But the practicality of performance nutrition for teams with him was incredible really eye-opening i think he uses the example of uh like flavored milk and bananas just having them there like Rudd's is talking about so if it's the management it's not hard to do a whip around with the group of lads everyone throws in two euro you know at the start of the week or whatever it is at training and that that's there and it's ready for you so like really simple strategies like that definitely help but i think um that that definitely would drip feed down in a club so if it's a more rural club that'll drip feed down through all the age grades and people will understand it a bit more well i absolutely and even like from a financial point of view money is never uh, the barrier 
It really isn't. You can have a recovery meal that costs three euro. Like you said, your recovery milk and your banana. But I think the key thing for consistency is responsibility. And uh, one of the guys I don't mind mentioning uh, was actually with the Ballyboden group. His name is Darren O'Reilly. And he's been a really good leader within the Ballyboden group for quite a while. And Darren was one of the guys who backed up the messages that I talked about. And if I said your carbohydrate loading phase begins now, he actually took over that responsibility. And that he's still doing it. And that has an, a huge knock-on effect because I'm not the fella that's annoying people's arses about it the whole time. It's actually one of the players. And if you can get, that's kind of what I was talking about um, earlier about somebody having that little bit of responsibility. You need, in some cases, in environments, somebody to stand up and not be afraid to take that responsibility because somebody's going to take the piss out of them. Eventually, people will go, you know what, fair play to him. He's actually doing a really good job and that's benefiting the overall group. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's culture. culture. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about consistency in a few other bits. Obviously, with your um, football golf is one of your big, big. Uh, oh, yeah, we won't waste too minute. much time talking. Yeah, about like, that, I think we'll get stuck into this. So, no, um, no, no, Rudds, I'm going to get you up out of the way here, and we're going to let uh, Dara the Hoover Henry, who has only featured on podcast previously when a uh, big Mike, your dad, Rudds, was um, giving him a bit of stick, really, on the last podcast. So, uh, Dara, uh, how are you doing? You doing well there, sitting in the corner quietly? Yeah, not bad, not bad at all. Uh, good to see Daniel again. After, yeah, uh, yeah, after yeah, serving, serving he got a good fright when he came into the room there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Geez, like she put on a bit of mass as well. If only, if only the listeners could see me. Yeah, we're never turning this into a live video one. But um, so what we do, we have a fitness forfeit every week on the uh, on the podcast. And this week, Dara's taking the quiz. Hoover, over to you. Yeah, so it's going to be a golf themed fitness. Uh, quiz so what we got just quickly going into the forfeit the loser so Rory if you lose you must make for the FFS team one of Daniel's recipes from Food Flicker okay, okay. your choice obviously and then Daniel if you lose you must buy Rory around the golf in Castleknock oh wow oh Castleknock okay so, yeah, yeah. that's we, good we'll yeah, get stuck no, into it that. Uh, we'll start okay. with the guest yeah that makes sense go away with it so excluding Rory McIlroy who's Ireland's last major winner that's for me mm Pori Garrington. Incorrect. Darren Clark. Ow! British Open. British Open. Sloppy. Rory. Sloppy. There are only three golfers in history to retain the Masters. Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas, and who else? I feel like this is a trick question. Lee Trevino. Incorrect. Nick Faldo. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Beat Norman. Norman. Daniel. Which European golfer sank the winning putt to bring Ryder Club glory back to Europe in 2002? 2002. Oof. Just Three, two, no. one. Paul McGinley. Oh, yeah. Rory, yeah. Okay. Mm. yeah. Rory. Yeah. Which professional golfer is nicknamed the Walrus? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, That's a tough question. That's a great question. I don't know Currently playing. Uh, as far as I'm aware, yeah, on the senior tour. On the senior tour? Oh, <laughs> Rhodes is nodding as if he knows it. Uh, oh, God. Um, <laughs> I'm never going to be speaking to you, so it doesn't matter. Uh, I'll go with John Daly. I don't, think, I don't think it can be. No, not Long John Daly. It's Craig Stadler. Oh, I was never getting that. Rhodes, did you know that? Mm. Okay, so it's... It's almost sudden death. If we both get this wrong, it's sudden death. There's plenty of questions. Okay. Someone has to get one right. Yeah, yeah, That's we, surely. Yeah, okay, come on, I got this. Uh, Daniel, what year and what major was Tiger Woods last? <sighs> 2013. 2008, Tory Pines, US Open. US Open, Tory Pines. I was there, played every You still don't get that point. Don't I get the point? No, no, you don't. Uh, 2008, US Open. One mm, with a broken it's leg. Been, it's been 10 years. Come on, he broken leg, dropped to the ground, yeah. sunk that putt, forced playoff. Mr. Oh, asked me that question. Yeah, okay, let's go. Rory, Time to wrap it up. Between Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods, Podrick Harrington and Phil Mickelson, how many major titles are there? Oh my God. Uh, Tiger, 14, McIlroy. Um, Tiger, 14. Tiger, Rory McIlroy. Rory has Podrick four. Harrington. Uh, Harrington has three. That's 21. And who was the other one? Phil Mickelson. 
Philly Mick. Oh, Jesus. Um, so I was on 21, 22, 24. 25. 26. Ah! <laughs> okay. No, no, not, not between, between, not between the, you. The listeners are getting bored. Okay. okay. Surely, surely you get this. I'm sure you've had one of these uh, before on the golf course. So Americans refer to this score on a hole as a double eagle. But Europeans refer to it as <laughs> an albatross. Hole one on a par four. You meant to say, okay, come on, back to me. Let's go, Rory. Oh, this is a good one. He's, he's, plan, he's planning <laughs> this is, like, uh, the way harder ones for me. Surely, giving a quick uh, shout out to Carl Cosgrove for this Hot one. Soup. Who won the 2004 British Open? <laughs> Uh, it was none other than Todd Hamilton. Yes, yes, correct. Oh, right. All right. When are we going One to Castle Lock? Can we cut? All <laughs> Wait, we, we'll do a lot of editing. We'll make our downtown look better. When are we going to Castle Lock? Uh, Mid June. Uh, honeymoon. But we, we, we'll kind of July, August. Yeah. We'll sort something yes. out. Yeah, yeah that'll be good. good. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring some snacks. So you're and food flicker snacks. Uh, six. 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 Yeah. Mm. Got to get to four and a half. That was the. I said that as well on the podcast there to the year. So better do that. Dara, thanks very much. Fantastic Thank quiz, quiz thanks master skills. Uh, you'll be kept away from the microphone for a long time again after that. Yep. Uh, Daniel, thanks a million for coming in. We, <laughs> we we appreciate it big time. There's some savage insights for people there. Um, just more info where people can find you if if they're interested. If they're not completely bored uh, yeah, after I'm, your golf quiz. Yeah, probably. <laughs> most people have switched off at this point. Yeah. Uh, Food Flicker on different social media platforms. Um, and I've got some articles and stuff like that on the website. So Fantastic. We'll pop everything in the show notes. Great. But uh, thanks a million again, Daniel. Thanks. We really appreciate Thank it. You. Cheers. And thanks to the guys at Iconic for allowing us to shoot the podcast here. Yeah.